Today's show is brought to you by FreshBooks.com. Get a 30-day free trial at www.gofreshbooks.com backslash gang. The following audio may contain coarse language and other material that may not be suitable for a younger audience. Viewer discretion is advised. Also, we may spoil anything and everything, so you have been warned. I'm Jack Newman. I'm Ben Haworth. I'm Sean Solis. And I'm Trevor Flynn. And welcome to the Movie Gang Podcast special episode. I am so ready to suck this movie's dick. Like, just, (laughs) I am just like, like, you know, on Main Street in a short skirt, ready for it. Like, let's, let's do this. Do like, um, (laughs) I'm with those leggings right next to you, Jack. Uh, I got, I got waterproof makeup, uh, like the whole nine yards. Like, it won't run. (laughs) If it it gets a little bit rough, like, we're we're ready for it. Just the guys today. (laughs) (laughs) Alrighty, if you guys can't tell, we're reviewing one of my favorite movies of all time. Actually, this is literally when I was starting film studies. This and Casablanca were the two films I told my uh, my film studies teacher were the best films of all time. In retrospect, that's a little bit silly, but you know, here we are. I still stand by it being one of the greatest movies ever. <laughs> I think a lot of people would agree with those two movies. I think you're yeah. all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't so say, you know, like uh, this and uh, Boondock Saints. You know what I mean? Then you'd have problems. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and people did say Boondock Sakes, and that, and I was I was so snotty to them about it, like like, like I was so judgmental. At everyone Dude, I, else in that room. I'm one of the only teenagers who didn't like Boondock Saints when I saw it as a teenager. So I've been snotty my whole life on that goddamn movie. Like, I know, I know. Just, but there were people in there that were like, "Oh, I love Star Wars," and I was like, "Original." <laughs> I know. If you guys can't tell, today we're going to be reviewing Blade Runner. I got a quick synopsis for you. It is actually disturbingly hard to find a good synopsis for Blade Runner. Uh, Decker played by so Harrison. Plot. I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. Oh my god, <laughs> or, I'm gonna literally murder you before this yeah. is over. <laughs> so like it's gonna happen. Deckard, played by Harrison Ford, is forced by the police boss M. Emmett Walsh. I don't know why Walsh was listed on this synopsis to continue his old job as a Walsh. replicant hunter. I know <laughs> his assignment: eliminate four escaped re- replicants from the colonies who have returned to Earth. Before starting the job, Deckard goes to the Tyrell Corporation and meets Rachel Shania young a replicant girl he falls in love with yeah so that's a terrible description of a very very uh a very very dark gritty like environmentally complicated it's complicated (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's uh i don't think people would like it today in in all honesty It's a little bit rapey. It's probably yeah, it seems yeah. intense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I actually, I'll stand by that scene as being good for the characters and everything that happens in core of the movie. But I still think it's like it's very strong, in like how they put it together, especially with Sean Young, who was kind of a rising star at the time, I think. But all right, but let's go ahead and get out of this way, and because uh, we got to go ahead and let Trevor have his day. Um, but uh, Trevor, what did you think of Blade Runner? Since you are okay. negative Nancy today. Okay. Okay. I'll I'll accept that. Um, no, 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 it's okay. So, you, you can't you can't get on a podcast with me and Ben's like favorite and like and I think Sean likes this too and like me and yeah. Ben's like one of our favorite movies of all time and not like be like you're gonna get demonized a little bit. <laughs> this this movie is. I mean, I I. I 
I recognize the shadow that it casts over like all of film. I I, I get it. I get it. Um, like I I saw clips of it. You know, when I was a kid, like even the the tears in the rain monologue like i've seen all these bits and pieces and heard about it in college tried to watch it in college but failed due to too much alcohol and a couple people trying to hook up and just talking through the whole thing who i still blame <laughs> for me not seeing this earlier y'all know who not i'm talking about yeah we um, i absolutely do know who i'm talking about <laughs> <laughs> but um everything that i love about blade runner the geisha smiling in the electronic billboard, the cyberpunk of it, the the imagery, the symbolism. It it I enjoyed it all so much more before I actually sat down to watch it beginning to end. <laughs> <laughs> that that's pretty much my takeaway right now. And, and, and uh, I think we're, that, I don't think yeah, he's alone in there. this. I mean, uh, I think I uh, Rod Ebert is one of the most interesting people who didn't like theatrical cut. You know, director's cut, final cut keeps coming out, and everyone's like, "Now you have to watch it, Roger." They they fixed the movie, and he's like, "I still don't like it," but he still ended up putting on his great movies list in sort of a begrudging respect. You know what I mean? He was like, "I get it, I get why people love this movie." I'm sorry, it's too cold and like unpersonal for me, but that's kind of why I like right. it. Right? <laughs> which which is, I think, ironically, this movie's strength to a T is how uncold and and dark and grim, and and it's so all of it is almost all environmental storytelling to me it's yes. like you don't yeah. really watch blade runner you go like live in the blade runner world for an hour which is like the masterpiece yeah, of this you, movie yeah go, go ahead sean you go experience blade runner yeah i agree it's uh it's just a gorgeous world like uh and that's why this movie is such an important movie is is just the neo-noir world that's created is is absolutely phenomenal and you know i i just got back from japan uh, a couple months ago and you know of course a lot of Blade Runner is modeled off of, you know, Shinjuku in Tokyo. And as you stand there at night uh, and you see all the lights, like for a moment, you're just like, oh, I'm in Blade Runner. It's, <laughs> it's just like, yeah. it's, 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 a, it's a, such a cool experience. Which is not, um, which is someplace you probably wouldn't want to be of like all places. <laughs> like it's, it's one of these things where it's like, you, you could like, it's like, it's like watching like a torture chamber and being like, oh, that looks fun. Like, <laughs> well, it's, but it's you still want to inhabit that world. It's yeah. the noir that makes it appealing, right? Right, right. Yes. And, and that's what's that's what's very strange about it. To, to your point, Jack, is that you know if you look at the the novel that the that the movie's based on, it's Oof. it's written in reaction to to World War II, right? So there's a lot of kind of you know almost Holocaust themes that that the author is trying to convey, and like how how poorly like the replicants are treated, and they're not even really viewed as as human; they're subhuman. But you're right. also in this really, really cool world that you want to explore. So it's just like this clash of of uh, kind of the, this futuristic world, but with like these really dark and serious themes at the same time. Well, it's a movie Which that's is, so hard I think, to advertise. Uh, the advertisement played it up as like an action-adventure movie, which is hilarious because when you get to the first action scene, it's Deckard stumbling around in the rain, poorly trying to catch a woman, then shooting her in the back violently as she like horrifically falls through right. pain after pain after pain of glass. He only kills two replicants and all four get the upper hand on him and just barely right. does he manage to kill all of them and doesn't even kill all of them. Like one dies on accident, one gets killed by Sean Young. Like he's really bad right. at his job and it is a violent yeah. <laughs> shitty world. It is not this like cool 
it, it, it could so easily seem like, and what I worry about with 2049 is that it could seem like such a cool, badass, bad, cool world with this cool dude is just going to take everything. And Harrison Ford is like really shitty at his job. <laughs> That's the thing I kind of took away from this. <laughs> well, Harrison Ford watch. is so good at getting beat up. That yeah, has got to be half the reason <laughs> yeah. he was cast. Yeah, like, and that's the thing is like what that scene from the first Raiders of the Lost Ark when you just see him get like beat up under like the plane that's spinning around where like the big Nazi dude just comes beating yeah. the shit out of him. It is so satisfying to watch some big burly dude mess his face up. <laughs> he takes a <laughs> punch really so well. Good. He does this great. He does this great like stun face where he gets punched. He's like, oh. Whoa! Like, <laughs> just stunned for a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's also great in this movie too when you see like how like they they play up Leroy being strong and he like beats the shit out of him, or when like uh, or when at the end of the movie when he breaks his fingers and you're just like fuck me, bro. Yeah. Like like he feels really really hurt through it, and I think that's you know it helps to the grittiness effect. But more to the point with this movie. Um, with some of the things that like, you know, we talked about like kind of like how, you know, there's the issue of like how it was sold and all these other things. I think the success and kind of the, how Blade Runner persisted over time has a lot to do specifically with like the way that it was adapted and how shitty the theatrical cut. Cause we, you know, for, for the viewer that's listening to this the first time, they probably don't even know a lot of the existing history of Blade Runner. And one of the things that you need to know going in up front is that this movie was killed by the studio and production going into uh, when it was released. So one of the, what famously happened is that Harrison Ford, they wanted to do, they thought that the movie, there wasn't enough you know, I think this is actually fascinating because uh, Trevor says that there's not enough story, and apparently a movie executive thought it's that as well too, and so they <laughs> wanted to have a voiceover to add in more story elements to make things clearer. And as they did that, um, Harrison Ford remembered thinking it was an awful idea and flubbed all of it, but somehow they so still included bad. it. And there's just so like bad. the worst theatrical do- voiceover. Like you can do it. You want to do? Is, and, let's let's hear everyone's impression of it real and, fast. And the, <laughs> uh, <laughs> when, when he kills when Roy Batty, it's so bad because Roy Batty is this amazing long line. And he goes, "I don't really know what Roy Batty was trying to tell me. I think he was saying <laughs> that life is precious." <laughs> I don't really know what that beautiful moment was. <laughs> was. Uh, and even worse, but I think I... is is the happy ending. They they have this absolutely horrible ending, which is um, really B roll from The Shining, which is crazy. But it's a shot yeah. of a car in sun. So first off, you're like, what sunlight exists in this world? Like everything yeah, feels at night. And then he basically so goes like, jarring. and it's so terrible. He basically goes like, yeah, Rachel doesn't really have an incept date, so she's gonna live forever, and we're gonna be happy yay <laughs> and then like that's the end of the movie and it's so it's just, terrible and it just and it just blows away and i get that's the other thing like and the other core element of the movie is that within the cut while ridley scott was making it he sort of changed his mind about what was corely happening in the story and changed elements to fit that specifically he suggests through the story that Deckard Deckard is specifically himself a replicant. And the idea of a Blade Runner is somebody that's running some, or, I mean, uh, that's what people say a lot of times. It has nothing to do with it, because they call them Blade Runners technically in the book and later. I don't know if they call them Blade Runners in the book. No, they don't call them Blade Runners in the book. Ridley Scott bought a script called Blade Runner because he liked the name so much. (laughs) Like, literally, he thought the name was so cool that he bought a script that had nothing to do. It was about gun runners in Colombia, and he bought the script. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I was was wrong. But the point is, is that the suggestion that like the police have replicants and then send them out to go kill replicants and gaff uh the you know 
Edward James almost. Edward James almost. Oh my God. Yeah. Coming out of nowhere. My favorite line in any movie of all time. It's one of my favorite to weird deliveries. Go it's ahead, too bad she it. won't live. But then again, <laughs> who does? Who does? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, that movie. No, it's 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 absolutely it's absolutely great. And he's as a bizarre thing. And I think that's the thing is that I love it's the fact that this character. movie clearly, you know, had creative forces pulling it in different directions. And it's just like it doesn't it doesn't know. Like it doesn't matter what it is or if he is or is not a replicant, because the movie is like is like Schrodinger's box. And that's the beauty of it as a whole. It's this amazing environment. There's a lot of stuff going on, but it's not all told to the audience. And you just sort of have to infer it as you go. Because there's this beautiful inference that, you know, they hunt down replicants with replicants. And then he has to go and kill his own kind when one day somebody will come and hunt him down, which is, you know, dollars to donuts. What's fuck's going to happen in Blade Runner 2049 with the... Ryan Gosling, who's going to be another replicant that is hunting, hunting down the old Harrison Ford replicant. Like I can, I can already tell you that's exactly what the fuck's going to happen. Yeah, and, and bringing in like the the book and like the World War II themes. It's uh, it, it, the idea is that it's like a, it's a member of the Gestapo, like turning out and figuring out that he's Jewish. Like after right. he's already like hunted down other Jews, right? It's just it's very dark and super depressing. Yeah. Um, well, that's what I, I I'll defend uh, I'll defend Trevor really quickly because uh, I remember the first time I watched this movie. It's very difficult to understand what's happening, um, and I do think like the voiceovers kind of. I mean, they're I'm not going to say that the voiceovers are are done well, but it's they're important to understanding Harrison Ford's thought process right. going 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 forward. And if you don't have it there, you're just like watching it, and it's not it's like the fuck is you know the first time I watched it, I'm like the fuck is happening, and then you get it at the very end, but it's just it you know I, I understand yeah. where he's coming I, from there. I stand by like if to understand this movie and its place in history you really need to watch the theatrical cut first and then watch the director's cut because it's one of those moments in film where i'm just like oh wow little subtle changes can make all the goddamn difference yeah, like, really. <laughs> it's unbelievable it's unbelievable another one of the uh, and it's always ridley fucking scott uh but kingdom of heaven is director's cut is like a three and a half hour movie or something it's like four hours almost but it is yeah. a million times better it's a great movie and also one of my favorite movies honestly the director's oh, and, cut of it and, and a great example of where he was trying to make a 1950s like biblical epic and the studio wanted troy you know what i mean they wanted like right. a, a sort of science fiction right. adventure movie and they got that right. and it was terrible but his version is very interesting right uh, one thing i'll <laughs> yes. say also with the plot is that it, it also the one person i've shown this film to who like really appreciated it right on was, was my ex who was super into film noir and she mm-hmm. immediately was able to really appreciate the fact that one thing you learn from watching a lot of film noir is don't pay attention to how they get to where they're going. <laughs> you know, like it's, <laughs> it's the classic problem to find out with film noir. One of my favorite film noirs of all time is The Big Sleep. And uh, my favorite story about that is famously a person is killed in that movie. And literally the writer of the script, the director, the actors, everyone involved don't know who killed him. They like the actor asked the director, the director asked the writer and nobody fucking knows and nobody can figure out because it doesn't matter. Ultimately, the thing about film noir is often right. the pieces that right. get you there doesn't matter as much as the overall story you're telling. And I think that's right. what Which is, is, can be the problem with Blade Runner. It's like, what right. the fuck is that snake lady? Where's that picture? Why are we spending eight hours looking at zooming in pictures? That's the only part that ages poorly because I think that technology was cool. And now we've seen it a million times on CSI. So we're like, why is it taking 10 minutes to analyze a photo? I know this. <laughs> I know this old trick. It just yeah. happens. <laughs> the the different events of the plot just happen seem to happen very randomly as well. I mean, 
you go from the, the, the chase where, I mean, I guess it makes sense that the other replicant would be watching when he's hunting down and running and miraculously managing to catch up with the snack, the snake lady in, in the underworld. But then like, he comes to try and kill him right after that. And then Rachel is just there, like, cause she's yeah. been following him the whole time too. I'm like, really? Come on. Like this, <laughs> come on movie. Like, no, this, this makes no sense. I, I disagree just, because I think that's, that's the, it. I, I agree with, Trevor and I think that Casablanca works on a lot of the same again some of my other favorite noir films they work on a very different sort of like logic and I agree with you that like a lot of it can feel logic, sort of situational yeah. no like like especially with like uh with like how he pops in at the end or like how it pops in and she's just there ready to go off and it's like yeah but yeah you like know, a he's gap just, just shows up right at the end when Royce died yeah it's like right it, it, right. it is like it doesn't have the connective tissue but it has the main yeah moments no, and that's and that's the thing is maybe from like like you know this is not their movies are good in different ways you know because back to the future is you know the best script ever written because it's 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 but it's not the it's best just, movie ever made it's just, just so tight <laughs> exactly no, no no like from a script writing perspective if you can have like a perfect fucking script that doesn't mean you have the best movie and i think that blade runner to me is the perfect example of the opposite because it is it is looser than a saturday night whore's dress strings i don't know i was going wow. back for oh this God. it was bad it was bad looser anyway, looser than i am on ninth street for this movie how about that that's great just <laughs> bad yeah all right uh i don't know if that's better it's but... not better none of it was better none of it none of it needed to happen it's not period. great <laughs> it, I, um, I do see yeah, that it's beautiful I, I, go ahead hold on hold on go ahead trevor I, I do see that it's beautiful. And like, I mean, five minutes into watching this for the first time beginning to end, I saw the lighting and I was like, this, this is none of this movie is going to be as well constructed as the, the lighting in this scene is like, there's, there's, I just, I, I knew that I, I got that. It just still wasn't enough. I, I should probably admit this too up front that I did not get the unicorn thing. I just, I did not get it by the end of it. And I watched the final cut. Maybe that's yeah. on me. Like, no, I, you know, there's a difference yeah. between it's not, because, um, yeah, go ahead. Like I can kind of, I can kind of speak to that. So you're talking about like the unicorn dream that he has. Yeah. Uh, it just comes out of nowhere. Like I didn't even get that it was a dream and maybe I should have cause it's implied cause he's just kind of right. sitting there with his head down well, and it happens, but it still do, just feels very random. I really want to steal this from you, Sean, just real fast because no, go for it. For me, one of the things that's suggested through the films is that different animals are associated with different people. Um, and, and kind of the fantasy, like the owl with Rachel and like, uh, the, like the dove with Roy and, um, kind of the snake with, with Zara and like all the other characters, like all the replicants have kind of associated, um, they have like demons, like Philip Pullman's right. souls outside exactly. their bodies. And the, mm. and the thing is like with the final cut, it's more, that one leans like, cause you have the, you have the theatrical cut, the director's cut and the final cut. I know there's more cuts, Ben. I just, yeah, like those, those are the two. Those those are the yeah those are the three ones that are like worth like because there's like there, he did some other shit and I know he did like a re-release like twentieth edition cut or something. Well, I was like, until people were waiting for the director's cut, those there was other like assembly cuts people were into because oh they yeah the yeah, yeah yeah and stuff and and but since right. the director's the final cut, I don't think people care about them as much anymore. Right 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 right. But the, but the point is is that you have like uh, you have kind of these associated animals and it's more like with the final cut specifically it's it's kind of passing more judgment on the fact that he is a replicant like that the final cut more even than the director's cut which i think the director's cut is the cleanest version 
the the final cut tends to lean into like when it leaves like the little like plastic like the little like ten unicorn which again right. gra- gaff right. leaves a little uh, character representation for each of the replicants and it's more just like confirmation that like gaff knows he's a replicant and is coming for him and just leaves it there because gaff knows that the unicorn is in his dream and it's just sort of this weird ridiculous pseudo marker that you know why would he have that in his head this hard-boiled detective and it's like because you know the people that made him put it there like the rest of his memories that they put there yeah they're not real exactly Um, so i i would side closer to trevor on this one i think the my issue with my really one of my few issues with the final cut is that they start they kind of beat you on the head with the unicorn dream and it's like oh it's obviously uh Obviously, Deckard's a replicant because he has this dream, right? Whereas I think one of the strengths of, um, you know, I guess the theatrical version that didn't have that scene in there is that it left it a little more ambiguous as to whether or not he was a replicant. So ben, I, I, I don't is think the, I think. It. Well, yeah, and really, I, Scott ben, is pro-replicant and the writer and Harrison Ford are anti-replicant. So I think there was a little more of that clash. Yeah. That about, whereas once really Scott had it, he made his more vision of his version, which again is what's right. interesting about comparing all the versions. No, and that's the difference is that I like that the the specifically the pull between Ridley and the writer has such a strong pull that I think it creates a very interesting movie that's perfected in the director's cut for me. Whereas when Ridley had more control, you can kind of see that coming through, and I think it creates a slightly less interesting movie. It's still fascinating, and Ridley doesn't destroy kind of what the what the battle in that situation. It, it's weird to have a main actor that like totally disagrees with your with your choices. That's mm. That's that's you yeah. could tell that like Harrison Ford was starting to feel his like actorial weedies at the time like it was like disagreeing because <laughs> like I can't it, imagine like him just like walking in and di- is like fuck you Ridley Scott so Ridley Scott <laughs> yes yeah exactly uh, but he yeah, was I mean he, and it's one of those famous clashes I think in movie history they they've since gotten along and he's on the DVDs and yeah stuff like that, no but. He talks about this movie. He said it was one of the most painful productions he was ever a part of because he was like, they asked him to essentially like, you know, they talk about because they literally pumped in smoke and it was just like a disgusting. Yeah, yeah. it was like a disgust. Everyone was sweaty and and, and it was like humid and smoke. uh, And there's a great I was there, too, which is a great podcast about like people who had small roles in major films. And the comedian Doug Benson is in this movie, shockingly. And uh, that's one of the cops. What? And he, yeah, he's in the movie. He's, uh, Jesus. He's a, yeah, he's older than you think he is. Um, and uh, he he says like, yeah, he he got pneumonia from the movie, like because it was raining all damn day long. Like it is fucking constant yeah. rain. It was disgusting. Like to get that grimy, you have yeah. to make a set that grimy. It's not like fun yeah and and there's a really great article where the first ac was talking about like the links they went to to keep like just the lenses clean like on set because it kept raining and everything and apparently there's just like this one little lens boy somewhere that was like hating his entire life and all of his decisions leading up to this production but if you ever want to have a terrible read go read like Harrison Ford's experience on that movie and also his thoughts on the movie and and honestly I, I I guess I like strongly disagree with him he's like there's no one to root for in this movie when they changed it and I'm like Ugh. I don't know man <laughs> well, I see, that's why like, I like the movie because it becomes yeah. it becomes a secret Roy Batty movie which is what I appreciate there right. is that part where he goes to yeah. Tyrell and you have the great Promethean maker meets creator or creation meets creator and 
I, I literally once that scene was over and I was like, oh, right, Harrison Ford's in this movie. Like, I had forgotten this time around what right, movie right. I was watching because he really yeah. does steal the scene and gets the most emotional moment. And that's why I think the key to the movie is the Terrell line, more human than human. I think it is right. mm-hmm. structured mm-hmm. to the way that you feel way more sympathy for Roy Batty and his story by the end than you give a shit about Deckard, whether he's a replicant or not. And well, kind of the but I still of that think movie Deckard is that it doesn't matter if he's a robot because he's so soulless yeah. in a sense. Well, there's that's, I think that's the thing is because like that you know more human than human that it suggests that the humanity is sort of left its humanity behind and the replicants are slowly weirdly picking it up and and not taking it over but like you know because of their position within society they have embraced this weird humanity unto yeah. themselves. Can we talk yeah. about the room full of toys and yes. the yeah. <laughs> uncomfortable like when I watched this movie with my girlfriend, I don't know, I, I just, I knew, like, it was weird and that she was going to think it was weird. And the fact that they're essentially kids in adult bodies, sort of, and they have this weird, like, psychosexual phase that they're going through is Whoa, just like... Whoa, what? I I mean, like, they're, like, uh, Rudger Howard's Trevor, do we need to talk about something? <laughs> What? Are you on a list somewhere that I should know about? <laughs> Wait, what? What do you mean? I'm, I'm joking. Just keep going. <laughs> um, yeah, room full of toys, like um, <laughs> all that weirdness. Let's can we talk about that? Well, there was there is a general theme about that. Like, I think Trevor's getting at the the, the rapid aging idea where the creator yeah. is himself uh, oh, rapidly oh, aging. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They yeah. are rapidly I was, aging. I thought you yeah. were talking about the actors and, like, the little, like, toys and all the stuff and, like, him and his lost childhood. Yeah, 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 you're right. Sorry, Trevor. I was I was, I was, I was lost and I was picking on you. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was like, I was like, wait, what are you, where are you going? What do you mean psychosexual? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> sorry. I was talking There's about the between, uh, between yeah, him cool. and Chris, really, more than anything. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. With them, with them in there, and like, in like her, like applying herself to his inner child, and then randomly dressing up as like the second creepiest clown in the world next yeah. to it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where is, was, what does that all come from, and what the fuck does it mean? Like that. That's yeah. Like, <laughs> well, she she is legitimately like a sex pleasure doll, and that's like she is literally. And I guess that's this thing is like there's this there's this horrible like. Oh yeah, they say you know, she's like a companion unit or something. Exactly, yeah. and that's yeah, the that's thing her, is she's literally point. she is literally a sex doll among all the other dolls. Mm. Which is why it's interesting. She's yeah. the most childlike and sort of yeah. Oh, don't Whimsy. please don't. This is already no, no. I'm, I'm not going the, that right. I'm saying it is very interesting that like she seems to be the most playful in a lot of ways. And where does that come from? Yeah. And it is a lot more innocent now that she has empathy and human emotions versus that same qualities were probably used for horrible circumstances before. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's interesting. Right. Yeah. Right. Evolves where like Roy Batty was a soldier bot. So he's a very cold, thoughtful, uh, very intelligent person. You know, like that's what he becomes, you know, Leon isn't Mm. like, is, is a worker. So he doesn't really have as much sort of, he's, he's all sort of menace. He's why he fails the white comp test. So, poorly you know like he is right. just all he can re- <laughs> like, all he can respond to things with, with anger and suspicion you know like each of them has right. like what they were before kind of dictates what they become when they gain emotions which i think is very interesting it's mm-hmm. it's incredibly dark just to i mean now that we're kind of analyzing this in a kind of a more sophisticated way just the idea of like creating 
these beings that are only around for, you know, just a couple of years and they're created for like one purpose and that's like the only thing they do. It's just, you know, it's, it's or, really you dark. kind of feel for, they have a four year lifespan because they know they cannot program them to not gain emotions after a while. And so they just figured out, well, generally they gain emotions run four years, so they'll die after four years. Like that's, that's really fucked up. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and it's and it's this whole thing where it's like you know human experimentation, and all these other sort of representations of this series. I I think that's not like it's the horrible impetus for this series. It's the underlying issue that like Deckard does does awful things essentially. Where Roy Bad, I I, I honestly still. I don't necessarily. I I enjoy it as like a as him being like a great neo noir villain. He's still a villain mm-hmm. to me, and, and to some extent. And I think that where it comes down to the fact that he's a villain is that he's like, and, and I guess in, in the classical sense of neo noir, he's like the situation more than not the situation like the Jersey Shore, but like the situation <laughs> like uh, like he's the situation coming down on the protagonist's head. And the situation yeah. is that they've created all these terrible things, and now well, it's going to visit well, like, horrors back upon themselves. For well, instance, like he's still like evil because he still monster. kills. Like, let me finish. Like he still yeah. kills Sebastian. Yeah, like he still right. he still does awful things at the end, and that, and that would be my uh, my point against him is him being like some sort of like antihero is that like you know he's still like innocent murders an innocent guy even though like everyone was like that he's still on a killing spree uh, maybe righteous justice like he's like magneto um but like at the <laughs> same time he's still a villain he's like an anti-villain more than anything though i agree okay sorry no i, sorry, I, I, I agree to- i think the closest comparison for me is frankenstein from the original novel frankenstein uh who yeah he still rapes her at the is, end right yeah yeah exactly like he is a yeah. bad dude <laughs> like Frank, yes. frankenstein's monster in that movie but you still feel sympathy for yeah. him and you still in a way like when he confronts his creator even though you spoilers for Frankenstein <laughs> yeah it's um you should have I, I think it's almost the uh it's it's fascinating to me because they they create this beautiful world and then you realize at the end of the movie that it's like it's society itself that's like the villain almost in this movie because yeah. anytime you have a society where you know you view a certain class of people as subhuman like there's going to be serious problems with that and then you know I think the the rape scene is you know, it's it's kind of indicative of that, right? Like you're creating replicants for the, you know, some of them are created just so you can have sex with them, right? So right. that's the way he views, like, you know, that's the way, I guess, people in that society view replicants, right? Like, it's just like, they're just a thing. They don't have emotions, like, right. you know, yeah. you yeah, can do not, whatever you want. If they're to. not having sex with you, they're malfunctioning, in quotes, unquote. Right. Know. Wait, exactly. are we talking yeah. about when Deckard assaults Rachel, essentially? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought we were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did yeah, too. Right. Or or I mean we could talk literally about like, you know, Pris and her like function, but I, I think that I think that, that is a thing is like he's trying to distance and I think, you know, again, as a movie it works. It's amazing to analyze because if you're trying to distance your, he's, I feel like he's trying to distance himself from the emotions of what's happening or, and put replicants back into this box so that he can unemotionally and un, without hurting himself kill them which is slowly being torn down by Sean Young, who he knows is a replicant. It's like he's dealing with this replicant who's just on the side while still trying to hunt them down. And it creates this great dynamics of like him like recognizing his that. But it's the same thing. It's like Chinatown. It's like all noir films 
are not about the hero overcoming evil so much as surviving evil or just recognizing the evil of society. Yeah. 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 There's a really great uh, article I need to send you guys about this. That uh, that reminds me. We really need to see Chinatown. That can be our next. uh, Let's just do film noir for our evergreen episodes. (laughs) No, no. Film (laughs) film noir. Yeah. I honestly like, again, top favorite movies of all time, which is this one in Casablanca film, film noir. Like there, it is a fun genre that is not, as explored today as it was, which is kind of sad. It's sad. Yeah. We'll bring it back. We'll bring it back. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, we'll bring <laughs> yeah, it back even, with our, our, our brilliant an- analysis. But uh, before we got to wrap it up real here, quick here, guys, we're going to go down the list and we're going to give scores, which I know is again, oh, as always, shit. I know we had to, yeah. we had to, no, right. but no, first I'm going to start with uh, Sean. Oh God, really? Yeah. You got to score blade runner. Oh, <laughs> It's hard because this isn't. It's not like a movie in the in the sense that you would think of one. It's 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 such an important film, and it's it's had such an impact on on the way we see movies today, and like in cinematography, and you know the source material is really great. Like it's you know it's it's capturing a guy's reaction to the horrors of World War II and the Holocaust. Like there's just so much going on, and uh, it's just a great product. Um, and I kind of disagree with Trevor. I mean, I, I agree with you in the sense that there are maybe some issues with the storytelling in the movie, but if you, you know, upon like subsequent watchings, you really do kind of get the sense of what they're trying to do and how many things they kind of do subtly in the movie. Um, it's really hard for me to score this. I think it's almost a perfect film. Um, I think I'd give it a nine and a half. 9.5 from Sean. Uh, and I'm going to break the ice and actually go, I'm going to, I think this is the first episode where I did not go last giving my score. It's not like that's on purpose or anything. Um, but, uh, I, uh, this is to me, my, you know, I, I, I said, I never wanted to give a 10 in the movie gang podcast and that was kind of pretentious as all fuck. Uh, but, uh, as close <laughs> as it gets, uh, this is, this is it for me. This is it. This is my 10. This is. Blade Runner. I recognize it has faults, but it is an experience for me personally that no other film really gets close to where I like wrap up and if if it's raining outside, god damn, I can't even handle it. Like whiskey and rain and Blade Runner and it's like just like transport me to another place in time. Uh up next is uh, Trevor. Oh shit, man. Um <laughs> I'm such an asshole. I'm so sorry. No, I'm so no, sorry, yeah. I, I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. <laughs> I'm so um, sorry. I know. I love, gonna, I love you. I'm just going to cut to the chase. I'm giving it a five out of 10. Um, because that actually accurately reflects how much I enjoyed watching it. I was, you know, confused, perplexed, overwhelmed by the themes and the symbolism and enjoyed okay. picking it apart but All oh right. wait okay what jack you have to cut in what no i'm just gonna go through every movie you think is better than Blade oh yeah okay i haven't i haven't effectively ever shamed somebody for their score on actually i totally have but uh let's let's just go through this oh so i know you what you're gave... gonna say you're gonna say i gave ghostbusters a six and i'm giving this a five I, you I, gave I, I... so it's only one better than beauty and the beast <laughs> <laughs> that's fair it's that's fair. 
it's only it's oh man logan is a nine so this movie is four worse than logan yeah yeah yeah, i i think i think what we're revealing here is not my uh my lack of taste but the uh the inherent uh absurdity of scoring films (laughs) that's fair that's fair that is fair all right ben round it out i i really am upset actually what you're doing to the score on this (laughs) more i can't help more when i'm unhappy than anything else and i really think this feels like spite i love it this feels like spite (laughs) it's not it's not it was me trying to it was me like sitting down with someone to share an art house movie with them and realizing like that i hadn't made a horrible decision but that like oh well this is just because this blade runner didn't get you laid that night that's why oh yeah yeah that's that's ben ben come on it's as simple as that (laughs) (laughs) i think i kind of know trevor's cover i'm like if you watch a movie it's like everyone says it's amazing you don't like it you're like ugh. No, you're right. I, I've totally um, done that with, uh, what was it, uh, first time I sat down to watch Amelie. I did not like it. And, oh, yeah, uh, oh, yeah it I took, agree. It took me, no, no, I, I like it. I'm not. We, I'm not okay, we really need to do Amelie because I've had ben. so many conflicting ups and downs. Yeah, and I also want to come back to it because I've watched it twice. And the second time I was like, I get it, you know. And then this, this, the first time I was like, I was like, what's happening? The first time it's almost unwatchable. <laughs> like you really. It's have funny because the first Amelie time twice. I, I loved it. The second time I fucking hated it. Now I'm somewhere up and down. Yeah, um, maybe it's because everyone sucked its dick right before I saw it. Sorry, let's. I don't know what's wrong right. with me and dicks today. Ben, you're up. It's Philip K. Dick. Right. That's what's working at um, I get where Trevor's coming from. From, I, it, this is to me a similar situation that you can get into with uh, people who like a really dense book, like you know James Joyce's Ulysses, or a really dense album, and you almost wonder, did you just listen to this so many times that you've made yourself like it? And I don't know, but all I know is that <laughs> I feel like this is a film that just rewards so many times, and every time I watch it, I find something new. Right. And every time, uh, this time, I didn't even get a chance to talk about the fact that uh, I watched a great documentary that I wish to watch called Los Angeles Plays Itself. It's on Netflix. It's about all the various ways that Los Angeles and various elements are filmed in it. And he makes an interesting argument that the film uses so many famous, iconic Los Angeles filming locations, like the Bradbury Building, the Ennis House, that like it's almost consciously talking about and decaying the idea of Los Angeles filmography, which is like... The fact you didn't even take that from the movie, and that's just one part of it, is is so fascinating to me. So it is a ten out of ten for me. It's 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 an incredible film, and it's one that I get where Trevor's coming from. I totally do, and I and I've I've not fought people too hard on that because I get it. It is a tough film to kind of appreciate. It is slow and weird and unrewarding in a weird way, but in a way that I think is kind of brilliant <laughs> because it is a lot like a film like AI, a film a lot of people hate when they first watch it, but I love now because AI is about how everything sucks and everyone's going to die. And it's kind of hard to watch <laughs> those movies and then go, I love this, you know? And, and Blade Runner is in a similar way where it is about the decay of society and the decay of humanity. The decay of humanity is a core. And, you know, films are about empathy and about people and about humanity, so it's hard to appreciate that sometimes. But for many years, whether I have Stockholm Syndrome myself or not, I now love Blade Runner and give it a 10 out of 10. Yeah. I don't yeah, think it's just the... Uh, it's a make, great you, analysis. You, you make a good point. <laughs> I don't think, for me, it's just the uh, the conclusion and the result and... And the takeaway from the film that that leaves me cold either. I think it's just that I've seen these themes done so much better. I've seen Cyberpunk later and Ghost in the Shell, which it inspired. And it's for me, it's the epitome of like academically going back to the seminal work of a thing that inspires a trend of thought. It's just never as nuanced and as complex as what it inspires. 
And, yeah. you know, for me, when I'm looking at the building where the Tyrell Corporation is in the beginning, it's like, oh, it's a ziggurat and God lives there. Oh, I get it. And like, it just doesn't add up to anything right. more than that for me in terms of right. the, the thematics, you know. <laughs> I have Basically, the final Trevor score is... if you guys are interested. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead, Ben. Trevor is too smart for Blade Runner. That's what we come to. <laughs> Trevor knows too many things. That is the correct conclusion. <laughs> yeah. Oh my so God. the score comes out to 8.65, which I am going to round up to a nine. So Movie Gang Podcast gives Blade Runner still a nine out of 10, which I am Check that with. math. I, no, no, check it, check it, do it right now. I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, I, dude, I'm actually dude. Check, I mean, that's I, a, I, I'm kidding, but I actually gonna check it. Oh, you have two tens and a nine. Yeah, no, well, there's two tens and a nine point five and a five, so you can't oh, throw it off that much. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah that's why. It's, I think that's a fair score, actually. I, um, I, I'm okay with it, and I think the thing. Yeah. I, I will say this, Trevor. I love you. I think. Yep. I think like how much you didn't like it threw me off. Like more so. I was. No, I was no, expecting. No, 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 no. I was expecting I, I like a six love. or a seven out of you, but somehow a five. I was he just gave like, a cold I was just like, five. It's not like, even. That's a, that's a cold <laughs> reading, you know. I, yeah, I guess it is. I, hey, I guess I, it I, is. But I was just I, I like, have to say, there are still off, moments though. that I love. Like I still think Rudger Hauer's performance is spectacular. I still love <laughs> yeah. the monologue. I get it. I still I'll, like a lot of it. I just you, like, you just know that this will be. For you forever, right? Like, anytime <laughs> you give anything above a five, I was like, oh, so it's better than Blade Runner. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, just uh, just just Rutger Hauer's monologue should have at least given a seven, man. Right? Like, it's such a fucking awesome scene. <laughs> Come on. Just sitting here shaking my head, smiling. And I, I don't know what else. From everyone here at the Movie Gang Podcast who definitely loves Trevor and is sorry to pick yes. on him so much. Uh, this has been, of course, Trevor Flynn. Good night, everybody. Sean Solis. It's been fun. Thanks, guys. Ben Haworth. I've seen things. (laughs) (laughs) I can do the whole monologue, but I'll stop it. (laughs) I know. It's not. (laughs) Let's save everyone. All right. I've been your host, Jack Newman. Again, from everyone here at the Movie Gang Podcast, thanks for listening.